Now, Jude tells us how he had originally started to set up to write a positive letter about our common salvation, but found himself burdened to deal with the danger of false teachers corrupting the Christian faith. Jude wrote this little epistle on the subject of apostasy. His purpose was to expose these ungodly teachers and false teachings that was infiltrating the church. And it was a very serious situation. Now, Peter warns us in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says that uh, there will be false teachers amongst you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereignty the sovereign Lord who brought them. And our Lord gives us a warning that in the days prior to his imminent return, we will see a rise in false teachers. And in fact, this is one of the most mentioned signs before his coming. Deception. And Jesus warns his disciples in Matthew a number of times that many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. In verses 4, in verse 5, verse 11, and in verse 11 it says the deception is that even the elect, even the Christians would be deceived. Now then Matthew 7, 15 says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, or in other versions, dressed in sheep's clothing, but they are really vicious wolves. In the NIV version, it tells us they are ferocious wolves. And in the, um, um, the New American Standard Bible, it tells us they are ravenous wolves. And Paul calls these false teachers salvage wolves. He says, I know that after I leave, salvage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Vicious wolves, ferocious wolves, Ravenous wolves, salvage wolves, who comes in sheep's clothing. Now this will give us an idea whom we are dealing with. Do you know how Eskimos um, kills a wolf? He makes an ice cream, but it is no ordinary type of ice cream. Now what the Eskimo does is this. He coats his knife with blood and let it freeze. And as each coat freezes, he adds another smear of blood until the blade is coated over by layers and layers and layers of frozen blood. Now then he buries the knife, blade, the, the blade up in the frozen environment. And the wolf will catch the scent of blood, finds the blade, and begins to lick it. It licked it with such gusto until the blade is bare. And because of the cold, he never notices the cut the, of the blade and the pain on his tongue. His craving for the taste of blood is so great and that he licks the blade till he bleeds to death, swallowing his own life. False teachings are often presented to us as beautifully packed, enticing all our senses. 
But once we get hooked, it takes over us and in that process will bleeds the whole church to a spiritual death. You know, the sad thing is that those who lack discernment import it into the church thinking that it's harmless, it's good, it is, wow, it is so positive and so reaffirming. And often if someone points out and protests about it, he's ridiculed and said, don't be so dramatic. But as with all errors and the effect compounded over time, you know, until they become so serious that they may not be correctable. You see, anything other than the word of God is given supreme place or put on par with scripture so that we base our lives upon it. It is dangerous. And when such missharpened truth is taken as a guide for life, what can it do? but to maim and possibly kills. You know, false teachers in church are not new, but tragically, they're even more active and they're more pronounced uh, today than in any other generations. We live in an age that is often called postmodernism. Now, Dr. Um, Albert uh, Moller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and an author of many books, said, the postmodern age is the age of no truth, an age that has reached a point of daily fatigue when it comes to facing the truth, a generation that no longer believes truth can be known. In other words, postmodernism says that there's no such things as objective truth. What's true for you, but not for me. You know, this understanding has emerged in the 1980s and it has been just gathering momentum and has gained a strong foothold in our society today. You know, there's a story of a very powerful um, um, uh, advertising firm that was hiring uh, new marketing agents. And they were interviewing many different candidates. Now, the first candidate came in and sat down, and all the executives of the company were sitting there dressed with all their power suits. The first one came in for the interview, and... Um, one leading, um, the, the, the main leading executive in the interview asked the man, now please tell us, what is two plus two? Now he wasn't sure where the question was going, but he said the answer correctly, four. Thank you, we won't be needing your services. The next one came in and they asked her, please tell us what is two plus two? Well, she was a bit more savvy and streetwise. And she looks around and thinks that it must be something not so obvious. And she answered, it's something between three and five. And they said, great, we will keep you in our mind and we'll keep your contact details. 
And the third man comes in and, uh, and was asked, what is two plus two? He thought for a moment and said, what do you want it to be? They hide him on the spot. You know, we live in an age in which truth is under assault. What truth, um, where truth is relative, where truth is subjective, where truth is what you want it to be. Well, there's such thing as truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. God's word is truth. And Jude shows us how to uh, recognize, know the truth, recognize the truth, defend the truth, and even recognize falsehood. You know, one of the first thing he tells us is that to contend earnestly for the truth. Now, this word contend speaks of an uh, intense and a determined struggle. The idea is that uh, to put up an intense and determined fight for our faith. The enemies are here, and we soldiers of the Lord's army are to take the stand, to contend earnestly for the faith. This is definitely a call to war, a call to battle, a call to fight for the truth against error. Notice it's not just a faith that we are looking at, but rather the faith. It's not just a faith, meaning that uh, one of the many faiths we have around, but it is the one and only true faith. Further, Jude uh, also stresses that the faith have once um, and all been entrusted to the saints. Referring to something done once and for all, never needing reputation. And it clearly points to us of the completeness of God's word. It points to us the sufficiency of God's word. You know, when someone um, claims to have a revelation which is above and beyond what is found in the Bible, we reject it outright. The body of truth has been delivered once for all, and nothing more can be added to it. Isaiah tells us to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. The word of God as recorded for us in the Bible is complete. To contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints means that God's people, you and I, must stand uncompromisingly for the inspired, inerrant, without error, totally complete, and all sufficiency of God's holy word. So in other words, Jude tells us that our mission is to proclaim the absolute authority and sufficiency of the scripture and the exclusivity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Jude tells us that our, um, first to beware of the false teachers, and next he tells us to be, um, uh, to be vigilant. Now from verses uh, 4 to 16, Jude describes to us some facts 
and description on how to identify them. And the first thing he says that for certain men have crept in unnoticed. And the other version is, have secretly slipped in among you. Now they creep in unnoticed perhaps because believers have grown complacent and grown careless or they were just sleeping. You know, these days we actually invite them into our homes. They've not been able to attend lockdown, uh, attend church during this lockdown, the, those lockdown periods. We check out and watch uh, all the YouTubes, all the podcasts and websites of some of these people. And some of us still continue doing that. You know, often false teachers gain entrance into the church by pretending to be believers. They come even as Christian workers. They could be ministers of the Gospels, so they claim. They may even hold leadership position in their own churches. Some may be bishops, church council members, even seminary professors. But Paul describes them as angels of light. You know, this word um, uh, evangelical has been um, defined and understood as any denomination, any uh, local church, any uh, individual who believes in the five essential points of uh, doctrine that emerge out of the Reformation, known as the five solas. There's the sola grata, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, soli Dio Gloria, which basically means we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. The thing is, uh, these days, some people who claim to call themselves evangelicals may not believe some of these key elements of our faith. You know, in a survey conducted by, uh, among the evangelicals, they find some very disturbing facts. They found that uh, 40 per, uh, 48% of these evangelicals uh, uh, surveyed believe that a person is generally good, or uh, if a person is generally good or does enough good things during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. What happens to faith alone? What happened to grace alone? Almost one in four, that's about 23%, think that the religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. What happened to Sola Scriptura? What happened to Scripture alone? Then, 42% says that God accepts the worship of all religions. What happens to God alone? What happens to Christ alone? You know, just because someone claims to be a Christian doesn't mean that they are. And our Lord himself warns that false teacher would arise and come in his name. Be vigilant. Be watchful. You know, next, um, 
Jude condemns these false teachers as ungodly. And there's a, at least six times of this word been mentioned in this letter. I'm just going to check it out for yourselves. Now, while these men claimed to belong to God, they were in fact ungodly men. And the word ungodly or uh, godless in some other translation is a word that is loaded with the idea that the entire character is lacking in the relevance to the things of God. Godless in their thinking, godless in their speech, godless in their living. Now we must be clear that um, Jude is not talking about uh, a backslidden Christian or even a nominal believer. He's pointing out an apostate. And you know who the apostate is? An apostate is someone who has received the truth in his head, but rejects the truth with his heart and ridicules the truth with his talk and with his actions. An apostate is someone who substitutes something else in place of the truth. An apostate is a person who has professed commitment to Christ, but in actual fact has never been born again. They are in church because this is the right thing to do, because of the family, or because of networking, or because of uh, business reasons. He may be even be baptized and signed on the dotted line to become a partner in the church and even fully participate in the uh, church fellowship. But he is a hardened in his unbelief and stubbornly opposed to God. And he says that they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now Jude not only exposed their deceitful conduct, he also exposed their corrupt doctrine. Now you see, these false teachers will mistranslate uh, mis the scripture and read into scriptures information that are not there. And they will use biblical words without the biblical context. This false teacher will ignore the full counsel of scripture and they will combine scriptures that don't have anything to do with each other. They will pick and choose only scriptures that will suit their needs. And they will use biblical words without the biblical doctrine. And these false teachers have their own definitions of key words and their own private in meanings upon them. And they throw words around and they uh, become a means by which they will manipulate people's mind. They will use biblical words without the biblical meaning. You know, there's a story about um, Abraham Lincoln who was asked by his colleague. He said, if a man were to call the tail of a dog a leg, how many legs would the dog have? Five was the usual reply. Wrong, Lincoln would say. The dog still has four legs. Calling the tail a leg doesn't make it one. And so often we go along with our superiors and pander to their narratives even if it is a wrong or a lie. 
And how often we, we just um, submit and listen, taking on board to well, someone who is famous, who has got great influence, who has got a, a big following of people, write many books and say many great things. We just take on board even though it is untruth. Falsehood is still falsehood no matter how many agrees with it. And truth is still the truth no matter how many denies it. Now moving on, Jude highlights to us the rebellious spirit of these false teachers. And he um, gives us three examples in the Old Testament. Um, firstly, the unbelieving Israelites at the time of Exodus. The, sin, the angels that sin, and the peoples of Sodom and Gomorrah. And one of the examples Joseph gave concerns the men of Sodom and Gomorrah who were greatly addicted, addicted to homosexuality. Now the sin is described here as having gone after strange flesh, meaning that it is completely contrary to the natural order that God has ordained gone after strange flesh. Now this is one of the marks of the false teachers which comes up again and again uh, in the Bible regarding their immoral lifestyle without any regard for the moral uh, integrity. And Jude further says that they are dreamers who reject authority. Perhaps it suggests they re they've received a, a revelations from God and say that God told me to do that. God told me uh, this is what he will do. And we see a lot of this happening when pastors uh, who claim to hear from the Lord. You know, just look at some of the YouTube and some of the things. It's just amazing what they say that they have, that the Lord told them to do. That seems to be just an obsession with the prophetic. And it's interesting that in the YouTube that some of those uh, so-called prophetic uh, channels has got such a high following of uh, followers. And you just give uh, three examples. Cain, Balaam, and Korah of the Old Testament who despised uh, divine authority and took matters in their own hands and suffered for it. As we know, Cain rebelled against God's authority in salvation. For he refused to bring the blood sacrifice as God commanded. And Balaam rebelled against God's authority by using his gifts and, and ministry for money, for profit. And quarrel. He rebelled against God's authority in service, denying that uh, Moses was God's appointed servant and attempted to usurp his authority. You know, from the three examples, one cannot rebel against God's authority and hope to get away with it. You know, another of these false teachers' favorite practices is to indulge in speaking disrespectfully in areas of which they are ignorant in. And we see well, what Jude tells us that they were ridiculing Satan. But it seems that Jude doesn't seem to approve that. Those verses does not tell us to go around challenging the devil. Even Michael, the archangel, the one whom God used to cast Satan down from heaven and fight the devil on his own. Yet, he did not speak reproachfully to Satan. 
he left all such rebuking to God. Now if an archangel is careful about the way he deals with the devil, how much more cautious we ought to be? You know, we share in the glory uh, and the victory of Christ. We are victors, we are conquerors, we are overcomers. But it's also true, we must not be arrogant and presumptuous. You see, intellectual humility is just not their strong point. And I was just uh, going this morning, there's a point that I've not put up, is um, this point about the hypocrisy of the false teachers. And in verses 12, it says that they will come and uh, they say, these people are warts on your love feast as you worship and eat together. They come among the fellowship, joining hands in, um, in this uh, fellowship meal, the communion. But then this is just a facade. And behind, Jude paints for us a graphic picture of a picture of what is in their mind. Hypocrisy is another one of their trademarks. Now Jude then uh, points out their speech life. These are grumblers and fault finders. They will grumble about things in their own lives. They are satisfied by nothing that happened to them and complain and grumble at everything. They don't want what they have but long for what they don't possess. Always finding fault. Why, is, uh, why are they so dramatic? Why are they so narrow-minded? Why this? Why that? You know, these days we have some terms for it, the cancer culture, wokeness. Not only that, they are quite confrontational. They murmur and complain until they wears you down. They want to talk about being politically correct and cause people to be satisfied with life. And if a false teacher can make a person critical of the leaders or, or church or dissatisfied with his or her situation, he can lead him or her into false doctrine. And self-ego is all that matters. They brag about themselves and elevate themselves higher than others by any me other means. They're full of themselves, always wanting to impress. You know, these uh, false teachers are gifted speakers. They know how to use words to impress um, ignorant people. They will say things that people want to listen. They will pay compliments to others and prepare to uh, curry flavor um, if that's to their advantage. And basically, they are motivated by selfishness and greed rather than the basic desire to serve and to minister. You know, knowing these things, we are amazed that anyone will still want to listen to these false teachers. But then there's something about us human uh, nature. We love to listen to things that pleases our ears. It does not matter if it is a lie as long as they tell us, uh, as they tell us what we want to hear. Why? Because it validates my position and makes me feel better that someone shared my same narrative. 
and you just remind us to be to be vigilant. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. They are sensual peoples who cause divisions not having the spirit. And it's a warning from Jude that we need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant. So how are we as Christians to react to this danger? Jude calls us to persevere. How? Be faithful in building ourselves up in the faith. And this by studying and obeying the word of God. Constantly, um, constant familiarity with the word will just guide us in the way of truth and warns us against the false teachings that's along the way. You know, a Christian, a believer should know his doctrine well enough to be able to at least recognize not only what is true, but what is false in the religious system. And even as a church, we need to um, depend on the insights of some of, uh, of the people uh, of the church that's around us to keep us informed. We are in it together. Not only that, he says, be faithful to pray as guided by the Holy Spirit in accordance to the will of God. Which I think of Romans 8, 26 and 27 explains it this way. He said, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know, when you read that, there's a sense that when we engage in prayer, it's not so much of uh, um, asking and barraging God with, um, uh, for this and for that. Rather, it's just been uh, quiet before the Lord, just listening to what are the groanings and the moanings is about and what the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. In order to be directed by the Holy Spirit in prayer, uh, means talk less, listen more as we come to prayer. Talk less, listen more in times of prayer. And then he tells us um, to abide in God's love. It's so those um, who uh, depart from Christ, depart from God's love. And Jude warns us to sort of to leave us to close to God. To live in such a way that God's love can bless us as we wait for the eternal life that God has promised us. To live and be surrounded in God's loving care. And finally, one of the things he tells us is that we need to, um, to witness and to love the fallen. Treat each situation uh, differently. Some people need to be shown pity and compassion. Others need to be saved as nature from the fire. And some may have gone too far and continue to pray for them. But also a word of warning for those who seek out to help people that, that we ourselves won't get 
they cannot be contaminated when we are involved in such a situation. You know, here's a wonderful promise emphasizing the power of the Lord to us who have committed our lives to his hands. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. You know, as we journey in life, we encounter many obstructions and many uh, concealed pitfalls. We will stumble, we will fall, or even strike our foot on something that's uh, hidden in our path. But this verse assures us that God's preserving grace will be there for us. And this is surely an assuring promise that we can go forth each day and we can leave this place knowing that God is watching over us. He'll keep us from stumbling. And I think we leave this place with this benediction. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now, both now and forever. Amen. God bless you.